the reason I have made the money I have isn't because I wanted to make the money, but because I was really enjoying what I was doing. And so I think having big goals, not just for my family and for travel, but also for continuing to build my business and continuing to build my influence and try to make an impact on more people and help them do what I've done. That's what makes me happy. That's what I enjoy. And so I think forever and for always, I will always be looking for deals, trying to help people. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, episode 27, with your hosts, Matt and Kellen. In the On Fire Podcast, we discuss financial independence, real estate investing, frugality, minimalism, and living within your means. Before we dive into this episode, if you guys haven't left us a written review or a five star rating, this is the time to do it. Go do it now. Then listen to this episode. Thank you. Also, thank you for those that already have. <laughs> the gears really got turning during this interview. I found myself listening very intently and even lost her words in regards to my next questions at times. I just wanted to hear him expand further on everything he said. There's a lot of value in his words. Yeah, this is a fantastic episode. And we dive deep into some topics that I don't think we've ever covered before, such as how to make a good first impression and how to close a sale. This episode is sponsored by Jeff Weibo himself. Jeff told his whole story in episode six, where he earned over $100,000 in his first year as a real estate agent. He's a major advocate for having social media presence, as made clear by his Instagram and YouTube accounts. He also puts on events at the mansion and co-hosts the Ontario Real Estate Conference. Follow along on his journey on Instagram and YouTube. And if you're looking to invest in real estate, contact Jeff through any of his social media accounts. This episode is also sponsored by MIT CPA Professional Corporation. MIT CPA is a one-stop solution to all of your assurance, accounting, and tax needs. Their focus is on a distinctive client service. They listen to their clients' needs and provide quality, professional service and guidance. Matt and I both personally recommend them almost daily, so if you're looking for accounting or tax guidance, check out mittcpa.com or email mitt at mittcpa.com. That's M-I-T at M-I-T-C-P-A.com. But enough chatting, let's dive into the interview. So Chandler is a real estate investor that turned income from working at a pest control company into a portfolio containing over 40 doors of multifamily properties while sharing how he builds an unstoppable team of door-to-door salesmen, all while running a YouTube channel and maintaining an active social media presence. Welcome to the show, Chandler. Hey, thank you. Excited to be here. Thanks for joining us, Chandler. We'd love to just kind of get a summary of what's your the last year look like for you? You know, it's been messy. (laughs) So most of my time goes towards working as a regional manager at Optid Environmental. So I recruit, hire, train over 200 sales reps that we spend about eight months of the, we call it the off season, but the non-summer months recruiting and meeting with a bunch of kids in the college age or attending schools all over the country. And we try and find the best of them. And then those that we end up hiring come out and work for us for three to four months. So when I'm not, you know, recruiting, training, hiring, doing stuff with my sales reps, then I'm looking for opportunities to invest in real estate. And over the last year, I've put a lot of that on YouTube as I've done some of my stuff with real estate and some of my stuff with sales. So I just get a do all of that fun stuff all day, every day, and just kind of fill the time with whatever needs to be done in the moment. That's awesome. So we're going to kind of reel it back a bit. So back to the roots, can you walk us through your background, how you kind of came to discover the idea of financial independence and like your general mindset on money when you were younger? Yeah. So I think just from a young age, I always did things a little bit differently. 
I mean, everyone else went in and they got their hourly job, but I went and knocked doors and mowed lawns or cleaned up yards or one of the weird things I did, I, I painted curbs by knocking doors. I also went and I bought, it's called Worm Squirmer and you put it in your ground and all the worms come up and we'd pick worms and then we'd sell those to fishermen. So we, we did all kinds of weird stuff just to try and make money without ever having to work for someone. And so I did all kinds of those things through high school. I then ended up going and serving a mission for my church for two years where we knocked doors and did service and did stuff like that. And so I just was always doing things a little bit different than everyone else. And that kind of put me in a place where the thought of going and getting an hourly job just seemed like the worst thing on earth. And so when I was presented with the opportunity to go do door-to-door sales and make a commission, it was just really enticing to me. And that's kind of how I ended up in what I'm doing now. So did you, did you go to school or did you ever have a job job like nine to five or anything like that? <laughs> so one of my favorite stories, the one job that was like a real job I actually worked at a law firm and it was my dad's law firm and it was the worst job on earth. I'm pretty sure I got the job just because my dad was the lawyer there and it was just for one summer while I was also doing all that other stuff and it was just pure misery. And so I always hated that building, but last year I actually went back and I got to buy my dad's law firm building. And so it was kind of this... stick it to the law firm. I'm never doing a job like that again type deal. So it was pretty cool. That's great. That's that's awesome. How did you originally like were you a natural when it came to door-to-door sales or was it kind of we'd love to hear more about that whole process because it's something that's extremely intimidating for the average person. Yeah, and you mentioned like you were doing door-to-door sales as a kid so like you must have started pretty early. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I've always been pretty good at just communicating with people. When I started as a kid, my pitch was just, look, if you don't love it, don't pay me. And so I don't know that I was that great of a door-to-door salesman, but I just had the guts to go put myself out there. And so that's what I would do with painting curbs or with mowing lawns. But the truth is when I went out my first summer to knock doors and sell pest control, I just got pounded pretty hard. Like I was really bad at it. So for the first week of working, I had gone out with three other friends to do this same job. And I was the only one after a whole week that hadn't sold anything. And so the start was really rocky for me. I think a lot of people think that, you know, sales is this natural born thing. And a lot of it can be. But for me, I had to put in a lot of time training and understanding how to close and how to minimize, how to maximize, how to really sell someone on willing, being willing to make a decision within five or 10 minutes of meeting me because that wasn't something that came naturally right away. Now, once it clicked, then it just blew up and I was really good at it. But right off the bat, I wasn't the best. That's fascinating. So I've never thought about that. I mean, door-to-door sales is about getting people to make a decision within five or 10 minutes. Like I've rarely ever had to do that. Like in the real estate world, it's like, okay, over the next couple of weeks or whatever, let's figure out, let's make a deal happen. But like for someone to say, yes, I'm willing to sign papers right now and get this going. Like what's involved in that? What kind of strategies would you use to actually get someone comfortable enough to, to pull the trigger? A lot of people really just aren't, aren't happy to make a decision that quickly. Yeah. And I think that's what makes door-to-door sales so unique 
is that's why I struggled my first week is you'd get through your pitch and people would say, Oh, that sounds great. You know, let me think about it. And I didn't know what to say from there. And I think that's what makes door to door sales so much different is learning how to win someone over to where they trust you. They like you, they listen to your pitch, but then you having the courage to close them. Because I think people want to be closed, like they want to make a decision. But if you put them in a place where there's still uncertainty there, and you're not closing, then you're going to have tons of people that you're walking away from. And I think that's the biggest difference. I mean, now as a regional manager, I don't do it full time. But I get the opportunity to go out for a month and shadow a bunch of our sales reps and train them on the doors. So every year I still get out for a little bit to go and, and sell on the doors. And it's hilarious because I will be shadowing the rep and he'll go through the whole pitch. He'll say everything. He'll close them the first time. And the person will say no. He'll close them again. The person will say no again. And he stops pitching them and he turns and looks at me like, oh man, we lost them. And I can step in and close them one or two more times and get the person to sign up because his pitch was awesome. He did everything right. But he just walked away without resolving their concern properly, throwing in the right ace and then closing them. And I think it's funny because with that quick sale, you're so close. And when you come to the realization that, hey, this last push is what's going to get someone to make the decision there rather than putting you off. That's kind of the big difference. Wow. That's so cool. So like, do you incentivize them in some way? Like, like a lot of people are like, I'll think about it. I'll get back to you later. Like for what reason do they have to make the decision right now? Yeah, no, that's an awesome question. I think there are a couple things that you need to do. First off, you need to build urgency within the pitch. And what I mean by that is you need to put a time frame on it. There's got to be a reason that they need to make a decision now. For us, it's because they get a better deal and because we're servicing the homes right there on their street. Like usually they can see the truck right there. And so you want to build up that urgency of, look, you're going to get the best deal if you can do it now while we're here. And so that's the first thing is building that urgency. But then when you get people right up to where they're about to say yes, but they're not quite there, we have a model where we call it rack. So resolve, ace, and close. And so when you close the first time and someone says, you know what, I'm not sure I'm interested and this is why, first off, you've got to resolve that concern and you want to resolve it in 10 seconds or less if possible. You don't want to over talk about it because you can talk them out of it or you can build up that concern. So you resolve in 10 seconds, then you've got multiple aces. Now for us, we have given our reps dozens of different aces, whether it's adding to the service or giving them the ability to lower the price. But with this ACE, in the ACE, you have a preface feature benefit. I'm not going to go into the details, but essentially just building up more value, adding value with something else that you're throwing into the service, and then going to a close. And I think a lot of people say, all right, Chandler, we've heard you know, a closer closing a lot, but what is a close? And I think the most important thing about a close is that you're closing confidently, and that you give them an option, but the only answer is yes. And that's a good close to where you're giving them an option, but either way they're saying yes to your product. That's awesome. Do you mind, could you maybe extrapolate on that just a little bit more? Like exactly how you're setting up or like that yes? Yeah, so I mean, in pest control, just to give you an example, you get to the end of the pitch and 
someone's not there. So your resolve, for instance, if they say, you know what, you know, I'm just not sure I want to make a decision right now, then my resolve would be definitely, you want to know that you can trust us. As you can see here, we've got 4.8 out of five star review with over 500 people that have reviewed. So that's going to be my resolve. I've taken what I think their concern is and I've resolved it in under 10 seconds. With my ACE, I'm going to throw in more value to the service. So I'm going to say, you know, I noticed you've got these pretty flowers, shrubs, bushes out front. This isn't part of our normal service, but we do have an additional service where we can treat the shrubs, the bushes, and the flowers. It's usually an extra $50. If you're willing to give us a shot so I can get you in today, I'm going to throw that in completely free. So now we've thrown in an extra ACE. We've added value to that ACE. And then you're going to go into your clothes and still in, instead of saying, you know, does that sound good? You want to try us? You're going to say, now, look, I've got a spot at two o'clock and a spot at four. Which one of those is going to work better for you? Hmm. So you're super assumptive and you've given them two options where either option is them doing business with you. <laughs> I love that. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. That I think that paints a perfect picture for our audience to understand the process. My mind's spinning actually. Like I know that like when I'm trying to close on a property or maybe I even have a tenant that I need to, you know, they need to make a decision as to whether they're moving or something like that. You know, I've noticed the value in giving a deadline and I can see the value in providing an option where the only answer is yes. I love that. I love that idea. Totally. The other thing too is just being assumptive. It's incredible how if someone's on the fence, I don't know if you guys have ever been in this situation, but if you're right about to buy something that you know you could go either way, and then the person acts like you've already said you're going to buy it, then they kind of make the decision for you and it relieves the stress. And that's what our goal is as a salesman. And it's crazy. I mean, I've been in that situation where the person's like, oh, awesome. I've got it up front. We're all ready to roll for you. And it's like, wow, I didn't even say yes, but heck, he's already got it up front. So let's do this thing. <laughs> that's great. Well, people, people have a really difficult time making decisions. So if you can kind of make it for them, then that, um, that does relieve the stress. I love that. So <laughs> what's like the initial, like when you first walk up the door, what's the initial like introduction? How do you make that good impression off the bat? Yeah. So I think, I mean, I've talked with you guys about this in the past, but someone's going to judge you in the first five to seven seconds. And so it's a combination of your verbal, your nonverbal and your paraverbal communication. And so on the verbal side of things, right when you meet someone, you want to make sure that you're talking slow, that you, the pitch in your voice is going down and that you're really confident in the things that you're saying. There's a lot more that goes into it, but that's kind of the verbal side. The verbal side is very unimportant compared to your nonverbal and your paraverbals. So with your paraverbals, they're probably the next most important with nonverbals being the most important. And your paraverbals are a lot of things with the pitch of your voice, the tone of your voice, kind of the melody where the nonverbals are huge. And those are the things that people are going to notice the most. That's your smiles, your head nods, your eye contact, your eye contact breaks, kind of your posture, your pose, how much you're moving. All of those things are the most important. And so we're trying to put together a combination of all of these things so that within those first couple seconds, right away we stick out as being different than someone else that's knocked on their door. And they immediately say, man, I don't know why, but I really like this person. <laughs> that's I love great. That. So there's a, 
I'd imagine there's a big difference between, you know, becoming great at door-to-door sales and then building a team that's great at door-to-door sales. Would you mind just kind of sharing with us your approach to training or building your team? Yeah, totally. I mean, with the first impression on the doors, it's big and then you get right into the close. I think what's very interesting about being on the doors is in a short sell, it's short enough to where it's very easy to train exactly what to do. So even if I've got someone that's not very likable, we can train them, you know, when to make eye contact, when to break it, when to smile, when to head nod, when to make their voice go down. I mean, it really is only like a three minute pitch. So we can break down every part of it where when it comes to recruiting, hiring, training, there's so much more that goes into it. And every year I'm trying to find a way to perfect training my reps, how to recruit and hire. But there's just a lot more with a longer sale when it comes to not only, you know, getting that good rapport up front, but then keeping it as you continue to go in depth as you're resolving bigger concerns. Because when you're spending more than 10 seconds resolving a concern, because there are these bigger concerns that people continue to bring up with, you know, hey, I don't know that I want to move across the country. How do I know I'm not going to get screwed working for this company? How do I know it's legit? How do I know I'm going to get paid? You know, and then for me to not only answer those questions and sell them on working with us, but make sure that they're actually a good applicant, that they're someone that I think can sell well. There's so much more that goes into that. And I think that's where, you know, if you're working as a realtor or something that maybe is a little longer sell, all of the skills still apply, but there's just a lot more there that you need to practice and get a hang of before you can really perfect it and turn it into the art that the short sell is. So was that kind of your question? Hopefully I didn't go too far off, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's great Chandler. Yeah. Okay. So we met up actually for the first time in Vegas. So there was a bit of an event there and we had like 30 or something. I don't remember how many entrepreneurs like came 70. up. 70. Yeah. I don't know. It felt like a nice close quarters event, but anyway, we got to meet up there. You taught us about a lot of this stuff. You had me nodding my head along when I didn't know that I was not even in control of that <laughs> during the presentation. And that was when I realized like there is a lot of power in like verbal, nonverbal, and I love the, the paraverbal communication. So since then, we've definitely seen a lot of focus on your social media and networking. So has there been kind of a mindset switch there? And what has it been? You know, it maybe maybe ask that a little more. What? Yeah, I, I'm not so, sure I understand your question. Yeah, yeah. So like YouTube and Instagram and stuff like that, like clearly you're seeing some value in that. We've seen you on Meet Kevin's YouTube channel as well. So like, what kind of value do you see social media and networking bringing to your business? Totally. No, I think for years I did this business and I stayed under the radar. I mean, I didn't want to put out there what I was making, how successful I had been. I wasn't broadcasting it. And we started experimenting with it this last year. And it's just crazy how this new generation that we're dealing with, your social media presence is more important than anything else. I mean, your connections with a big influencer gives you more integrity in some people's eye than showing them your bank account. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's just been fascinating as I've connected and I've gotten us more on Instagram, on YouTube, we've put our name out there more. 
it's so much easier not only to find good people who are wanting to come and work for us, but then when we are going through the recruiting process, for them to be able to go on and see those connections and see those videos, it just makes everything we do more valid. I mean, people are a lot less worried about getting taken advantage of. They can see that, wow, this is a real business. And a lot of that has come to play because of our social media presence. That's awesome to hear. So like, I guess with real life networking, and I guess I maybe have a little bit more perspective on this, but I can remember originally you were kind of on the fence with coming out to the Vegas event. And we ended up actually jumping on a phone call and kind of chatting through it. Do you mind sharing with the audience, you know, the value that you've started to see with in-person networking? Totally. I think the Vegas event, like looking back, was the biggest game changer for me switching over to just connecting with people. I mean, like I told you, I recognized it was important to connect for recruiting just in my own small little area up at the college I was working with. But going to the Vegas event, it expanded everything for me. I mean, I got to the point where I was comfortable doing bigger deals. In real estate, I got to the point where I decided, hey, I need to get on YouTube. I need to get on Instagram. I need to kind of expand my influence because there was so much more there. There's so much more potential. And I think more than anything, just the connections I got, it was so cool to be surrounded by people that were thinking the way that I was thinking because I'd fallen into a place where, you know, I kind of, I felt like a pretty big fish. It was easy to get complacent and going to Vegas. I was like, man, like, this is why I'm here. I'm not here to try and get to a place where I can be done and just content with what I've got. Like I was meant to go to connect with people, to have these interactions because they're what makes me happy. And in turn, it helps me to continue to grow, to progress, to do bigger and better things. And so in every way, shape and form, the Vegas event just expanded my horizons and kind of set me on a trajectory of, wow, there's so much more out there and this is what I love. And it gives me the opportunity to do that more. That's great. And there is a lot to be said for like, when you actually meet someone face to face, you build a connection that's really difficult to build. Otherwise, I mean, the reason that we're having all this, like the reason I'm in touch with you at all is because we got to meet up in person. And I got to see the kind of person that you are. And I think we're all seeing that throughout all these networking events, you get connected with these people, and then you want to stay in touch. And then one of the best ways to stay in touch is via social media, you get to follow along, have that one to many conversation. And then Oftentimes within the app, like Instagram, you can then directly message that person. So on a day-to-day basis, they're kind of more top of mind. And if you have some kind of a business that they can get involved in, you're the first person that comes to mind. Totally. Well, and the thing too is it, I've seen so many people that they start following what I'm doing and it takes them a while, but then they reach out to me. And when I have people reaching out to me for that connection, the connection is always better. I mean, it kind of shifts the frame to where now I'm someone that has something to offer rather than trying to sell something. And when that's how the relationship is, I've seen that my sales reps are putting in more time to buy into our training before the summer starts, to commit to the program. And it just, in every way, it can, you know, just help. And I think the connections too, I was telling Matt on a phone call, you know, a a while back, maybe a month ago, just how recognizing those connections and how valuable they've been. I got a ton of connections in Vegas that have helped, but then 
it kind of helped me say, wow, I need to get more connections like this. And I found so many other connections in real estate and in sales that weren't through the Vegas event, but that I never would have had had I not gone to Vegas. Right. That's awesome. So, okay. So you've built up a bunch of passive income and active income and just cash in the bank, I guess, from uh, pest control and stuff like that. You started investing into real estate a while back. So what does that, what did that process look like? Kind of where did it start with your first deal? So I finished my first summer working and I made $96,000 that first summer. And so I'm this college kid that had been mooching off my parents because I spent all the money I made in high school on the mission and a car and just that stuff. And so a semester into college, I was, you know, (laughs) mooching off my parents. I went from that to having almost six figures in my bank account. And I was like, holy cow, I got to figure out what to do with this. I've got to find a way to to use it to get me ahead and to, to get me set up for life. And so that's when I started looking into real estate stuff. And I actually looked around for a while. I didn't buy any deals that whole first year. But then the first actual deal I did was someone needed a loan for a property. I'd been looking with a realtor to buy an investment property, but someone needed a loan because they didn't have good enough credit, but they were willing to put a large down payment down. And so I was like, well, heck, I mean, I know this property is worth a lot and you've got a good down payment. So I'll give you a loan at a nine and a half percent interest rate. So that was the first time I tasted any kind of real estate deal. And they had that money for, I think, a little over a year before they refied out. But getting those checks was just awesome. And so within a year of that, I bought an investment property that was a condo. And I bought that for $70,000. And that was my first actual rental property. And the first time I got a rent check for that, that was when I think everything clicked and I started to go crazy and say, wow, every dime I make, I want to put into real estate because it's so fun getting these monthly checks and knowing that not only are they going to come forever, but that I'm also getting appreciation and principal pay down and all of these other benefits just from putting this money that I've worked hard for in the right place. That's great. That's awesome. So what's your approach like today now with real estate? Are you actively buying properties? Do you kind of have a a plan in place for how you decide what you're going to acquire? Yeah. So it's funny because it, I feel like it's changed a lot this last year, this last year, ever since Vegas, I kind of said, Holy cow, I got to figure out exactly what I want. Because before that, you know, if the numbers worked, I would buy it and I had money. And so I just, I just kind of shot from the hip and purchased what looked good and went from there. But I definitely have switched my focus where, you know, I have a number of doors that I want to be able to get every single year and I've got goals on where I want to be and how I want to get there. And so this year, my goal is to break a hundred doors before the year's over. And as of right now, I'm up to 63 doors of rental real estate. (laughs) That's awesome. That was fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that's the thing. They, I didn't buy all those this year. That's including all of, all of my doors. I've just bought a couple this year, but I, yeah, I've got 40 more that I want to get before the end of the year. And it's funny with real estate, with sales, with success, I feel like it just is exponential. I mean, the first year I bought a condo and then it was a couple duplexes and then a couple fourplexes and then you know, a little over a year ago, I did my first, you know, 24 plex 
So it was this deal that was over a million dollars. And I feel like every year you get more comfortable with the numbers and you get more money because now my real estate's paying me and my sales job is continuing to grow and pay me. And so I think people hear, wow, that's a big goal, especially compared to what you've got or what you've done. It just continues to grow. But that's what's so exciting about success is it really just builds on itself. And that's a goal that now I'm like, man, maybe that's low for this year. Like I need to push for bigger. I need Hmm. to get better because it's become so addicting and it's so possible with everything that's going on. Wow. I've got a kind of a double-ended question. So first of all, what do these properties look like? And, and like, and what do you intend to buy in order to buy those next 40 plus doors? And then how are you financing these deals as well? Yeah, those are all great questions. For me, I have purchased properties that I would say are right in the mid range. So properties, I know I can get comfortable rents. I definitely haven't been slumming it, but they're not high end new properties. This year, I made a goal that I wanted to start getting into some newer stuff. So I'm looking into some newer construction or stuff that's been built within the last five to eight years where a lot of my other properties were built in the 70s and 80s. And I feel like I'm never one to use the word diversify just because I feel like I'm all in on real estate. But I did want a mix of some of the higher end properties and some of the middle and slightly middle lower end properties. When it comes to financing, I have done all of these on leverage, except for that condo that's now paid off that I've been messing around with doing something with it because I either want to sell it or refinance it or figure out. It's just cash flowed really well and I didn't have a better place for the money, but everything else, I love leverage. And I think the more leverage you can use, as long as your numbers work out properly, the better, just because it's going to increase the return on the money that you have into that property. And it helps you grow at a much quicker rate and you get all the advantages of more appreciation and principal pay down and all of that good stuff. So I love using leverage wherever I can. A lot of my properties are right around 25% down when I initially purchased them. And here, I don't know what you guys' rules are up there, but you can only do 10 personal loans where you get a 30-year fixed loan. And those have been my favorite. I've used all of those. And so we worked things out to where now my wife can get another 10, which is kind of a cool life hack that my loan officer helped us figure out. And then I've also done a couple commercial loans for some of my bigger projects. So did that that answer all of them <laughs> oh absolutely yeah, yeah it definitely did and and like in canada we're typically doing 20 percent down we don't get to do 30 year fixed it's typically a five-year fixed which is significantly different i think the rates are a little bit cheaper but every five years we need to refinance based on the current lending rate so it's a little less predictable there's some good advantages with like the 1031 exchange and all sorts of stuff that we get that that get to be done in the states but you know we take some of the disadvantages that we have invested in Canada and we try and take advantage of those so it's a little bit harder to make deals work so the more deals you find the more valuable they are but yeah just a different game but definitely answered my question and so how are you currently finding your deals are they all you know, on the market off market it's Another one of those things that's really shifted the last year since I was in Vegas. (laughs) Before, everyone knew I was looking. And so it was just kind of random people would bring them. Where this year, I've connected with a bunch of people that know I'm looking and we've kind of worked out, hey, this is Chandler's exact numbers. This is what he needs. So it's a combination of just good connections with other investors 
but also multiple realtors that, you know, have been willing to give me pocket listings or try and get stuff off of the MLS. What I found is a lot of stuff on the MLS lately, it's never the deal that works for me. And so most of the deals to find the numbers I'm looking for have come from the right connections through investors or through realtors that are finding off market deals and coming to me first because they know where I'm at. And I think there's a lot to be said for proving yourself and so that people know, okay, if we find this deal and it has the numbers that Chandler's looking for, we know 100% Chandler's going to purchase it because there's so many people that you know, they say, Oh, I want X, Y, and Z. And then you bring the deal to them and they're like, Oh, maybe not. I'm I'm getting cold feet. I don't want to do it. Where if you get good connections, people that trust you and they know that you're going to keep your word if the deal's right and the numbers are right, those people continue to bring you deals. I love it. You answered the question before I could even ask it because previous guest we had on Angie, she talked about a couple of deals that her realtor had brought her and they were, you know, she called them 2018 prices. They were a year ago's prices and we've seen a lot of appreciation. And, you know, the question is, how do you, why do they give you the deal, right? Like, why do they hand it to you versus a million other clients who might even pay more than you? And the reason is they know you're going to close, right? They have confidence in you. Yeah, totally. And I think it just comes back to it's so much more than just a quick sale. And the reason I say that is it's one thing to make a good first impression and to win someone over and to get them to trust you. But then you've got to keep commitments. You've got to come through. You've got to be someone that they know, you know, you're not going to take advantage of them. You're not going to use them. You're going to be a man of your word and come through with those promises. And I think when you can get the combination of those two things, you're going to have so much better deal flow than other people. And unfortunately, it takes time to build those relationships. But if you do it in the right way, it's so worth it. And that's another awesome thing that came out of Vegas is look, these connections are huge, and you need to build them, you need to invest time in them. And a lot of times you're not even seeing the money that those relationships will create down the road initially, you need to create those relationships because you really want to bring value and have a good relationship and the money comes. Yeah, that's a major point that definitely needs to be emphasized. So you kind of already hinted at it, but it sounds like a lot of your investment focus right now is in real estate. Are you 100% all in on real estate? You know, I am. I think it's foolish for anyone to say, oh, this is the only thing that I'll ever do. I'll never look anywhere else because lots of people make lots of money in lots of different ways. And so for me to shut myself off completely to other things, I think would be stupid. However, to this point in my life, I've looked into a lot of different things. And I don't think there's any better place for my money than in real estate, especially if I'm willing to be patient and hold to the numbers and the kinds of deals that I've done so far. And so for right now, yes, I am all in on real estate. That's the only place that I put my money. I put money in like an IRA and a couple little investments early on that I just can't touch anyways. But for the last couple of years and from now going forward until something changes, I'm pretty much all in on real estate. That's great. And, and for your portfolio right now, how is it being managed? Are you doing some of it yourself or are you kind of passing that along? Because one, one of the struggles that I've had is, you know, when you go to build a portfolio, it means that now you have more of a job to do, right? More properties to manage. And, and a lot of people don't want to build a job, another job for themselves. So how are you approaching that? Totally. So I think... First off, I believe I'm really good at hiring sales reps 
but I need to get better at hiring people to build out my systems when it comes to secretaries or other people to do things. And that's a big transition I've been trying to work through the last year. However, I got really lucky in connecting with a guy that was trying to start a management company the same time I was starting to get into real estate investing. And he was managing a property that had 40 units in it and he was just doing a great job. And I went to look at this property. I probably didn't have the guts at that time to buy it, but I wanted to kind of get my feet wet and be looking at deals. And I met him and I was just blown away. And so I said, look, I've got big goals. I'm making good money from the sales job. I want to put it into real estate. Would you be willing to come manage you know, the couple properties I do have right now? And so we started that way and it's gotten to the point where he knows exactly what I want, how I want it done. And so he now manages all 63 of my doors and does an incredible job. And I would never be able to manage my properties on my own because first off, I don't like doing that. It feels like another job. It doesn't pay me what I think... I guess I want to be paid for what I like doing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so that has been a perfect relationship because I've worked really hard to take care of him and to help him see my vision of where I think both of us can be years down the road if he continues to manage my properties and to do it at the level that he has done it. And so that connection has been huge. And I would say, look, unless you love managing properties, definitely find someone else that can do that part of it for you because then you can focus on the parts that you enjoy. Now, there are some people that love managing them and that's awesome. I'm just not one of those people. Yeah. No, I mean, the whole point in financial independence is about any active income you're earning is, is by choice. It's doing something that you want to do. And it makes sense if, if you don't enjoy ma- managing properties, and honestly, very few people do, then it makes sense to hire that out. And and like I could feel even just a weight off my shoulders when I heard you say all 63 of my doors are managed for you, and they're doing an incredible job. Like That's the goal, right? Like As soon as you have that, you can say, I want to buy 40 more doors, because you know that that's not going to be 40, it's not going to be another 40% effort. It's going to be focusing on the deal acquisition, which is the part you enjoy. Totally. No, I... I couldn't agree more. I think it's just so important. And you're right. It's such a relief to know those things are covered because for me, I still have a lot of problems on a daily basis that I have to deal with. And I don't want it to be those problems. I want it to be problems with finding the deals. And I want it to be problems with my sales reps because those are the two things that I really love doing. And those are the things that I'm the best at. I mean, if you told me Chandler, come manage these 63 doors right now, it would fall apart because that's not (laughs) what I'm good at. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 100% agree with that. And I think it's great for a lot of investors at the start of their journey to self-manage, kind of learn the ropes. But then certainly as you grow your portfolio, there comes a point where you need to decide what what you're best at and really double down on that and try and outsource a lot to the other aspects. So, so true. how do you approach the future, Chandler? Like, do you have a five-year plan? Do you have goals set outside of just 2019? Yes, I definitely do. And again, <laughs> you're probably getting sick of hearing it, but the last year, I think a lot of that has shifted. I think before I had this end goal of, you know, holy cow, I could have all this passive income and I could just sit on my butt and go travel and hang out with my family. But one realization I've come to is the reason I have made the money I have isn't because I wanted to make the money, but because I was really enjoying what I was doing. And so 
I think having big goals, not just for my family and for travel, but also for continuing to build my business and continuing to build my influence and try to make an impact on more people and help them do what I've done. That's what makes me happy. That's what I enjoy. And so I think forever and for always, I will always be looking for deals, trying to help people, doing sales training and doing all of that while making sure that my family is the priority. And so I've got, I've definitely got goals for the next five years, for the next 10 years and for where I want to be and what I want to accomplish in that time. That's great. And it kind of leads into my question. You've already answered part of it, but like, what does your ideal lifestyle look like? A lot, a lot of our listeners are going to be on the frugal side, but then we talk a lot about increasing your income. So a lot of people are interested in like fat fire, or like fat financial independence, right? So like, we know that you just bought a Tesla and like, there's certain luxuries in your life that you definitely enjoy. So what does like your ideal lifestyle look like? Yeah, it's funny because my ideal lifestyle is the what I live every day. And I think that's what's so awesome about it is I don't, I think far too many people wish their life away, spending their time thinking, oh, I should be miserable now for X, Y, and Z, where I think people need to recognize there's a time and a season for everything. There's definitely going to be a time and a season where you have to be 100% focused. You have to grind. You have to put in your time. But I also think there's a time where you find this balance where you recognize, man, I can do it all. And yes, I've been frugal. I've saved my money. I worked hard so that I could build a passive income. But I built that passive income so I could buy things like a Tesla and so that I could enjoy my life. And so I'm always going to work hard and I'm always going to have those weeks in my life where my family doesn't see me as much as they'd like to because I've got a big deal or I'm out training or I'm doing something. But I do that because I know it's worth it to where then I can have those weeks where I say, heck, I don't feel like doing that today. I feel like working with my family and I can afford to do that because of the time that I've put in. And so I don't think there's this big dream end goal. I think I've just come to terms with the fact that I can do it all and I work in seasons on different things when it's required. And that's what makes me happy. I love that. So Chandler, you've mentioned before that one of your favorite quotes is, there is no growth in the comfort zone and no comfort in the growth zone. Do you mind just kind of letting our audience know why this quote resonates with you? Yes. I have never been happy when I let too much time go by without being uncomfortable. And I think anyone that Hmm. finds success, they'll get to that point where they say, you know what? I could totally sit back and not do anything uncomfortable again. I mean, right now with the passive income from my real estate, I could live a great life and not do something that made me uncomfortable, but I would be miserable. I would be unhappy. I wouldn't grow. I wouldn't progress. And I truly believe that's what life is about, is that progression and that learning and that growth. And so that's a big reason. I mean, I don't have to go out and knock with my reps. I'm sure I could get away without doing that. But I love the month every year where I go and nobody has any idea the kind of money I make or the success I've had because they get to call me whatever they want. They get to say whatever they want. And that's uncomfortable. It's hard to put yourself into a situation where you're knocking doors and being treated like scum. But I love it. It's it's the same with real estate. I mean, I've done big deals, but I want to do much bigger deals. I want to do deals where I say, wow, like this is scary. This is something I've never done. But 
I'm going to push it and I'm going to make it happen and I'm going to put it together. And so I've just found any time that I push it, whether it goes good or bad, I learn, I grow and it makes me happy. I love that. And yeah, there, like you said, there's never been a period of time where you've been comfortable for any length of time and, and also been happy. And I've noticed that in all sorts of people in my life, definitely for myself, it usually doesn't last more than a week or two. And then at that point, <laughs> you're fancy and you're like, I want to do something like I can't just sit around. It's so true. And that's what's so funny. I mean, me and Kevin were talking about it when we did our video and we did another video just on this that I think he's going to put out in the next couple of weeks. But the word passive income is hilarious because we all throw it around. We all use it. We all love it. But the reality is anyone that creates a true passive income doesn't ever have a passive life <laughs> because, because we're always looking for more. We're looking for something to push us. And that's why we were able to create that passive income, but we're never going to be passive. And the word passive, if you take income out of it, it's not a good word and it's not something <laughs> that I want to stamp my name on. I like that. I've never heard someone say that before. <laughs> Me either. That's great. Well, I think we're going to jump into the uh, fire four. So we asked these same four questions to all of our guests. The first one is, what are you grateful for? I am grateful for my family, probably more than anything else, but then just life. I mean, literally, there's not anything in my life right now that I'm not grateful for. So it's probably a cop-out answer, but the good, the bad, the ugly, I'm so grateful that it's all there. Awesome. Number two, guilty pleasure or a tool you can't live without? Ooh, for me, it is food. My biggest struggle right now is that even working out daily does not keep up with how much I enjoy consuming good food. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a frugality tip or a life hack that you'd like to be able to share? I think for me, frugality has kind of changed. But if you don't need something, then don't purchase it unless you have created a passive income to pay for it. Yeah, great tip. Last question. What would the hero of your own movie do right now in your life? <laughs> That's a hard question. Hey, we got an um out of them. <laughs> 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 so this question is hard and, and a lot of people struggle with it, but it's the idea that, you know, if you're watching a movie in your life right now, you're the main character and, and you're rooting for yourself. You're looking down and thinking like, this is what I hope this person would do right now. Like, what do you think that thing would be? I think being the kind of person that accomplishes everything I want on the business side of things, but being someone that everyone knows never would have compromised anything when it comes to the integrity or the personal side of things. I think, I mean, I love what I've accomplished in business, but my hero would be the guy that at the end of his life, people are just like, man, like, yeah, he did cool stuff, but he was just a good guy. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Before we wrap up, is there some way that uh, our guests could get in touch with you? And if they wanted to get to ask you any questions? Yeah. So Instagram is a great place. It's Chandler David Smith. That's a perfect place to reach out. I also am really trying to get my YouTube going and I can't touch Matt McKeever with the <laughs> stuff he's thrown out there, but I love putting out stuff to help people with sales and with real estate. And that's Chandler David Smith as well. So whether it's Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, I'm Chandler David Smith on everything. Awesome. Love it. I definitely recommend people jump over to YouTube and give Chandler a sub. Mm -hmm. Thanks again for being on the show. Before we wrap up, we always like to get our guests to ask our audience a question. 
Is there a question that you'd like to ask our audience? Yeah. Well, I mean, one question that I think is more important than anything else is just, are you happy? Because I think if the answer to that is no, then you probably need to reevaluate. Nice. Love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate your time. Hey, thank you. It was so fun being here. Thanks, Chandler. That was a great episode and just filled with great tips. I know I'm going to be spending tonight trying to memorize that rack close. This is definitely one of my favorite episodes. Chandler got my gears turning, especially when he's talking about the short sale and his approach to -to door-to-door sales. I look forward to using these techniques in my own business and possibly translating them to long sales. And while you're waiting for the next episode, jump over to Facebook and join the London on Fire community and be sure to follow us on Instagram at onfirepodcast. And make sure to tune in to the next On Fire podcast to meet more people, hear their stories, and learn from their mistakes. Thanks for listening. This is Matt. And Kellen, signing off. And until next episode, remember, being normal, buying stuff doesn't make you happy. And always remember what C. Joybell C. said. I have realized it is during the times that I am far outside my element that I experience myself the most.